Inspiration. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Start Inspired. I am your host, Samantha March. This is my podcast designed to give you a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation, helping you start inspired and stay inspired. Let's jump into today's episode. Well, hello. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Start Inspired. I am so thrilled to share today's interview and today's guest. And when I officially booked her to the podcast, I kind of sat in my chair for a few seconds in shock, (laughs) trying to figure out how in the world I was going to be able to have a conversation with Gabrielle Korn. So Gabrielle Korn, she's a journalist, a digital media expert, and the former editor-in-chief of Nylon Media. Under her editorial leadership, Nylon became a fully digital brand with an ever-growing audience, an original, politically-driven, thought-provoking beauty, fashion, music, and entertainment content. She spent three years working on Nylon's digital presence before her promotion to editor-in-chief. She was an editor at Refinery29, overseeing beauty content during a period of explosive traffic growth and working to expand the brand's concept of what beauty means to the millennial reader. And as someone who has always been really interested in first the magazine space. When I was younger, I had goals to be a magazine editor or a magazine writer. I applied to internships in New York and LA and Arizona when I was in high school. And the name Gabrielle Corn is very familiar to me. And she is someone who I have looked up to multiple times in my professional career. And with her releasing Everyone Else is Perfect, I definitely also got to see a very, you know, much more personal side to her. And then being able to have her come on to the podcast and just to speak actual words to her. I can't, I really can't even explain how excited I was and also how nervous I was for this interview. I don't think I've ever put in as much time coming up with questions. Uh, And usually when I do, a podcast interview, I'm typically always nervous in the beginning. I have a lot of anxiety. So even if I'm interviewing a friend that I know, I'm nervous in the beginning. I'm afraid for technical issues that I won't be able to figure out. But by the end, I'm usually relaxed and kind of chilling in my chair. I mean, I was straight up the whole time. I never let go. I constantly watched our our levels and our volume. And I, I mean, I was sweating. I was sweating doing this interview. <laughs> But it just, I mean, a big thank you to Gabrielle Korn for coming on to this podcast. And just, it's been really amazing since starting Start Inspired, some of the guests that I've been able to bring on and talk to. And I know that this interview is going to inspire you. I highly, highly recommend you read Everyone Else is Perfect, which is on sale now. Everything is going to be linked in the show notes Uh, especially if you are. I know a lot of my listeners are fans of the beauty space because of my following on YouTube and Instagram. This is such a fascinating book to read to get a little bit of the behind the scenes. And it's just, it's, it's a great read. Highly recommend, but I also really hope you enjoy this interview with Gabrielle Korn. Hello, Gabrielle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm well, I'm so thrilled to talk to you. Um, but before we jump into it, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, definitely. Um, my name is Gabrielle. I have been a journalist in digital media for about 10 years. Um, and I have a book coming out in January. It's called Everybody Else is Perfect. Yes, and we will jump into the book for sure. But 
I had a really hard time kind of narrowing down where to kick off this interview, but I guess I kind of want to start at maybe the beginning for you. I'm curious of like how it all started and what was your inspiration in becoming a journalist? It wasn't like a singular moment. I think it was like a lot of little things that built up over time. Um, when I, I actually, I forgot to write about this in the book, but when I was in high school, I ended up writing for some local music magazines, um, like pulling an almost famous, totally lying about my age. And, um, I, I just loved it so much. Like music was my first love. I was so curious. I had so much to say and I I got away with it. Like they thought that I was an adult with a day job and that like flipped a switch in my brain. Um, but I think it wasn't really until I got to college and started taking journalism classes and um, doing internships around the city that it started to feel like something that was really possible. Um, I had always, always, always loved writing, but I had no idea that you could actually make a career out of it. Like I knew that journalists exist, but the synapses didn't connect for some reason that like I could do that. Yeah. I, I, um, I can really relate to that for sure. Cause it's, that's, it's always been something that I've wanted to do also is write. And then to understand that you really can make a career out of it. Even for me, like 10 years ago, I was like, wow, that's a real world thing. <laughs> I just didn't believe it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was listening to a, a past interview that you did and um, to kind of delve into a little bit on the like topic of the book also, but you mentioned that at times it seemed like you were the only lesbian in the room and you wondered if you weren't up for the task of making sure there was queer representation, it might not get done. And I was curious if that's still a feeling that you have today or do you think strides are being made in that area? I think strides are totally being made in that area. I think there seem to be queer people everywhere I look now. And it's mm -hmm. really, really amazing to see. I also have a little bit of FOMO about it. Like I, mm -hmm. I really wish that I had had people in professional situations who I identified with. Um, I think it would have been really helpful, but I'm, I'm so happy about it. And like, it's not, it's not like huge strides. Like I, I worked at refinery 29 twice. And the first time mm -hmm. I was there, I was the only lesbian on the editorial team. And the second time I worked there seven years later, there was one other. <laughs> so oh, wow. it's a little bit better. And two is twice what it was when the first time I worked there. Um, so it's like, mm. you know, it's, it's getting there. It's not where I would like to see it. Um, but in my new job at Netflix, I'm in the editorial and publishing team and I run the LGBTQ social media channel. And, um, this was not a job that I created. Like someone was in it before me. There are already people working on it. I could pretty much just step into it and have, um, support and resources, which is something I've never had before in terms of like a queer role at a major company. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's excellent. I had seen that you were now at Netflix, but I wasn't exactly sure of your role there. So um, I don't, I'm kind of curious, how were you, how did you find Netflix or how did Netflix find you? <laughs> I got really lucky and they found me part of, wow. um, you know, the privilege of working on the internet is that I have been really visible as a queer journalist and my work is public. So 
um, they wanted someone to kind of function as an editor in chief for the social platforms. Gotcha. That's very cool. Well, speaking of, um, you mentioned working at Refinery Twenty Nine, and um, I read that you, you know, kind of focused on the beauty and the fashion industry during your times there, and. I'm curious because I work in beauty. I'm a beauty blogger, beauty influencer, whatever you want to call us these days. But um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the industry now and maybe the direction that they appear to be going. Yeah. And I'm actually really curious your thoughts on this too. <laughs> in it. I mean, I feel like what I observe is two things happening at once. And that is like the strides being made in the body positive inclusivity woke space. And then Mm -hmm. what is happening in the like face tune plastic surgery space. And um, it, it kind of feels like they happen in different universes, but are using the same language, which makes it really confusing for users because it's like the messaging is women should be able to do whatever they want to their faces and their bodies, hashtag feminism. And I think that looks really different for everybody. And um, like base level, I think it's a good thing. But then I think sometimes how it's practiced feels like a like a willful misunderstanding and a repurposing of these ideas to fit someone's like own unique experience i can see that and it's it is very interesting cuz i actually started back in 2009 in social media i call myself like a first generation blogger oh. i was like oh blogging seems cool <laughs> like i've I, i've always loved books i wanted to be an author and i thought well no one knows me you know kind of how you said your work is so public and you're so visible right now i was like well no one knows me sitting here in small town iowa like how do i put myself out there and meet people and see if I can make something happen. I think I thought for a lot of years, like I would just be discovered because (laughs) when I was growing up, you would hear stories of like Charlie's there and just like getting discovered at the mall. And you're like, Oh, that will happen to me. And I would go to the mall and like catwalk around (laughs) and no one noticed me. I was like, well, this is weird. Why isn't this happening? So, So I decided to take to blogging. And I mean, that really, that changed my whole life. I always say it's just one of the best ideas that I've ever had was putting myself out there and, you know, now being able to make a full-time career out of it. But obviously times change from when blogging was so popular, then all of a sudden YouTube was getting really popular. And now it's like everything, Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. And sometimes it's hard to keep up with everything. Yeah, But it's been interesting to me to see things kind of change and grow, especially when it does come to beauty, because in, you know, 2010, 2011, you would post your makeup looks and it would be like a really shaky kind of crappy winged liner with like some blue eyeshadow smeared on your lid. And people would be like, you look incredible. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm going to copy this look. And now it really feels like I could spend two hours trying to create a makeup look and be so proud of it and post it online. And I will get critiqued like everyone will have a critique on it. And it's, it just feels to me like if I can't put out something perfect and over the top and the most blended and the most creative, it's like, why even bother to post it? (laughs) And so sometimes I get really sad about that. And I'm like, man, what happened to the days where we were just like rooting for each other? We were like, wow, you look amazing. And, 
Um, I also think it's interesting because I, I suffer from hormonal acne. So a lot of times I have breakouts on my face and I'll come on camera, you know, barefaced because I'm like, this is not only is acne normal, but hormonal acne is, you know, a condition that I'm trying to get help with. And I'll come on barefaced and people will be like, oh, you're so brave for not only showing your makeup free face, but, and you have acne. And I'm like, am I really brave? (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just, it's just me, but then I'll post a photo and I'll get comments of like, why are you not, you know, editing out your breakouts? But then I'll post a photo where I do edit it a bit with Facetune, and people will be like, "Why do you edit your photos?" And it's like, I don't know because I don't know what to do because I get critiqued for it. It just feels like that's it's just like a no win situation. Yeah, that's really terrible. And I feel like it's only brave in the context of those commenters, like they are the ones creating the situation where you're taking a risk by putting yourself out there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I mean, like you said, it does seem like we're moving into more of a society. Like you said, that is more woke. That is more, you know, trying to be on the up and up with so many issues from social issues and just beyond. And I, you know, I look around and I feel like there are strides being made, like some of the language that we're using and some of the conversations that we're having publicly, we were not having 10 years ago. It wasn't even on anyone's radar. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. But then at the same time, it still feels like we're we're just like, I don't know how to explain it uh, eloquently, but sometimes I just also see the flip side to it. And I'm like, we're getting nowhere. (laughs) Why? Yeah. Well, I think that what is still true is that there is literally no right way to be a woman. Everything you do is wrong in some way. And it's like, it's a trap and it's a trap that we all participate in. I was really frustrated. This is kind of like off the topic, but I was thinking about it today for whatever reason as I was doing my workout, but I traveled recently by myself and I remember talking to people where I was. And when I said I was alone, they're like, I can't believe you came here by yourself. And I, at one point I asked why, and a person said to me, well, because you're a woman. And I'm like, I can't even travel by myself. Like there's, I just, sometimes I feel so frustrated (laughs) that it just seems like we really, uh, yeah like you said, like, it's just sometimes it feels so hard to be a woman. And I'm like, Oh, I hope we're making strides in that area. But yeah, I try to think positive about it. But sometimes I get a little down. (laughs) And I think that's okay. And totally understandable given the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Well, and kind of going along with that. So in your book, everybody else is perfect. You also discuss these impossible beauty standards. And, you know, along that same direction, we have this huge rise in social media influencers and content creators. So do do you think we're trending in the right direction then for like body positivity and embracing like, I'm going to say flaws, but really like our real bodies? Or do you think that social media does contribute to impossible beauty standards being out there. I think you have to look at the numbers. And the fact is that eating disorder rates continue to rise. So despite what you see on social media, despite what you see, if you pay attention to like Gen Z chatter on the internet, Mm -hmm. women are still struggling 
to take care of themselves. And, and I think that is the best evidence that like whatever movement is happening, it's not working. And, um, I, I go back and forth on my feelings about social media. Like on the one hand, I think it is really amazing that we live in a time when every single person is connected to every single other person. And other times I feel like this is so bad and we won't fully know how bad this is for a really long time. But I think people will look back on like the social media era and, um, you know, look down on it. Like I just, I don't see positive things long-term coming out of like people creating public highlight reels for themselves. And then especially like young people then seeing those things and comparing themselves and just feeling never good enough. And like their highlight reel will never be as good as someone else's. Um, and I think to your point about like the comments, it's like, it feels like the internet is getting meaner too. Like, and so I don't think that's necessarily (laughs) contributing to the goals of like the body positive movement. Um, I, I feel really nervous about it, honestly. Yeah. Have you watched the social dilemma? I watched parts of it. Um, I couldn't. I just started watching it, but it, it kind of reminded me of a few things that I've heard from from in there. So I need to finish it still. Yeah, I mean, it's. I thought it was very well done. If you're someone who mm-hmm. like works in the internet, like you and I do, it's probably not going to present new ideas. But I think for mm-hmm. people who like use the internet but haven't really thought critically about it, I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, kind of going back to like looking back on social media, and it might not always be like the most positive time. I remember um, hearing someone said to me what kind of like sparked my interest in um, the documentary was about how like humans aren't programmed to please like thousands of people. And that's kind of what the internet has turned into. So even as you gain more followers and subscribers and whatever it may be, it's like, we're not we're not programmed to have to please all of these people at one time. It's so, it's so impossible. So uh, that just kind of jumped out at me. Cause I was like, that is so true because I remember, so I reached a uh, hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube recently. And I was like, a hundred thousand people have come by my channel. Like there's no way I'm making everyone happy. There's no mm-hmm. way. And you know, obviously the comments back that up where people are like, I don't like this content. I don't like this music. I don't like this lipstick. And it's like, okay, (laughs) maybe some people do, but like, I can't, I cannot please everyone at one time. It's just, it's, it's impossible, but it almost feels like a new standard for those in social media or just those on the internet in general. Yeah. So it's just kind of an odd thing. Yeah, completely. (laughs) And I think like the job of someone like you is to like, be able to keep in mind that people not liking your work doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's what's really hard for people in general is like holding on to their self-esteem and their sense of self in light of this environment that's just more and more and more critical. I was listening to another podcast the other day and I heard um, the host say, it feels like with the internet, that now everything is up for debate on social media, no matter what you post, even if 
you know, you could post a picture of your baby and announce their name and then people are going to start to debate it. And it's like, that's not necessary. That's, that's not what's going on. And I was like, oh my gosh, it really does feel that way. Even if I just post a makeup look and say, I'm going to the grocery store, like people will debate me on it. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> like, yeah, and I think You're not going to the grocery store in this makeup. Right. I think ultimately at some point we'll all have to grapple with why we have the compulsion to share those things. Like True. why, mm-hmm. why we don't want more privacy and mm-hmm. yeah. knowing that the reaction will be that people will have conversations about us like what what is it about the way we think about ourselves that makes us voluntarily participate in this thing that's a good point too because there's been i mean i have caught myself over and over cuz like i said i've been doing this since 09 and it's definitely grown and evolved over the years but i mean really by 2011 i had gotten used to posting you know, my thoughts on Twitter and my photos on Facebook and then more apps came out and then it was posting, you know, pretty photos on Instagram. I'm just, it's so second nature to me right now to getting a coffee, posting a picture of it. And there's just been so many times where I've gone to, you know, snap something, record something. And I'm like, do I really need to show this part or should I just stay off my phone for five minutes and just enjoy my drink by myself? Right. God forbid. (laughs) I I feel like this year has been a really good exercise for me in like pulling back from sharing. And of course, like it's largely because I've just been home and I don't really have Mm -hmm. anything to share. Um, But it's like, I, I can have weeks at a time where I post nothing from my life on the internet and nothing changes. Like I don't mean mm-hmm. anything and I don't lose anything. And that has felt really freeing because like previously I was someone who shared everything. And, um, you know, I, if I felt like I looked cute, I took a selfie and it, it was so intuitive that I stopped thinking about why I wanted to do it and what I wanted to get out of it. And being able to have a year where I like, you know, don't necessarily feel cute and therefore don't feel compelled (laughs) to document it has, it's been really nice. Like I kind of feel like I have my privacy back in a lot of ways. Yeah, that is, that is a good feeling. There's, yeah, there's definitely little ways that we can still find positives throughout this year. Cause I know it's, very common to focus on the negative parts and the bad parts, but there, I mean, there have been plenty of good moments throughout this year. And I, I tend to think of myself as a more positive person. So I try to remember and hang on to those, those little things. Um, but what I thought was interesting too, what you said about like looking at the numbers and seeing if they're backing things up. And when you talked about eating disorders, because I, I definitely do catch myself, um, planning to go on TikTok for five minutes and then I'm there for two hours (laughs) and I'm like, what has happened here? And I just keep scrolling. But I've been seeing a lot of videos recently, especially of young girls that are just sitting down to eat, eat a meal. And they'll be saying in their videos that they hear from their followers that they really, you know, are struggling with eating disorders or struggling to eat. So they make this video sitting down to eat and saying, I'm going to take a bite, then you take a bite. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like what a positive thing that people are trying to do on the internet to try to help people. But then to know that 
it, it, it reminds me to not just take something at face value because that's like my naive, my um, like just being naive in that way of like, oh, everything's like going well now. Like people, people are getting help with their eating disorders. That's great. But to actually go and back that up with facts, I'm like, oh yeah, that is something that I need to remember to yeah. actually dive into a little bit more. But yeah, that's interesting. Oh, that makes me sad too. I know it's awful. It's really, yeah. it's really horrific. Well, I want to, I, I want to talk to you about your time at Nylon too, um, because you were promoted to editor in chief at Nylon at just 28 years old, which was the youngest ever editor in chief at Nylon, um, which first of all, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, but also I read that the same day of your promotion was the same day that their print magazine folded and they were going to enter into this new you know, digital era. And I was wondering, did you have any fear about going into that sort of unknown or were you prepared for the undertaking of making, in your own words, an institutional change there? I think both. I think at the time I felt so ready for it. Like I had been just so frustrated with being like almost in charge I was already the digital director, which meant I ran the team that wrote the stories for the website, social media, and video. And we were growing and we knew what the audience wanted. And we ended up going in a pretty different direction from the magazine because what people wanted online was different than what people wanted in the magazine. And it was it was really hard for me to know that the magazine was struggling and there was nothing I could do. Um, It was not super collaborative at all between print and digital. So when print went away and what we were doing online became the, the core of the business, it was like, it was almost a relief. Like it was a tragedy that people lost their jobs and, um, and that was really hard. And I felt really guilty that I still had mine and a lot of people I really Mm -hmm. respected didn't, but at the same time, I just felt like, okay, thank God. Now, now we can get the recognition recognition that we have earned for the work that we've done for the way we've grown our audiences. And then, um, and then there was the reality of it, which was my promotion was not announced. It was lost in the news of the magazine folding. I barely even had a conversation with my boss about it. It was just like, we had a company meeting and he presented an organizational chart and like my name was there and um, no one had said anything to me about it. It was just assumed. So um, it took a year for people to realize that I had this job. And um, that year was really hard because I felt like I had so much to prove and people who had loved Nylon the magazine did not take Nylon Digital seriously. And I was in this very specific industry bubble. And I think if I had been able to step outside that bubble and spent more time talking to readers who largely didn't even know there had been a magazine, it would have felt different. Oh, wow. That's really interesting about just how the promotion worked out for you. Yeah. It didn't feel like a victory. Right. And this is, this is just a question. I'm really not sure how you'd answer this, but do you think if it was a man stepping into that role, do you think it would have been like more prominent news or do you think it really was just because of the magazine aspect of it? It's, it's hard to say. I think 
I think men in fashion do generate more press than women in fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that the news was that the magazine had been folded. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause that really was, I mean, I can also remember I'm 33, so I can remember seeing the shift starting. Cause you know, I, when I was in high school and college, I was, I was reading all of the magazines and that's, I mean, that's what I learned so much from, whether it be uh, you know, makeup looks or how to style a pair of boots or how to do my hair a certain way. I mean, I was turning to magazines for all of that. And so I can remember when the digital shift started coming, it was like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> like, what's what's going on? I mean, I can still remember the internet dial up. It haunts my nightmares <laughs> that that sound does. So, I mean, yeah, it was definitely interesting to... Uh, to see that shift and to be a part of it. And it's just so interesting for me to talk to you because obviously you had, you also had such a huge part in that and working at nylon, which was, you know, so huge and so respected. I just was really curious to kind of get your thoughts on that change. Yeah. I mean, I really believe in meeting people where they're at. If you are a content creator And I think that what magazines got wrong was that they wanted to keep doing what they were doing without listening to what people wanted from them. And people want to be able to read things on their devices. Like they want to be able to click and share and email and they don't, they don't want to schlep around a big magazine and like rip out pages. And I think the fact that the print industry wasn't like uh, wasn't listening to that feedback is why it died and i think what's happening now is that people don't want to go to dot coms anymore like they want to be on social media and they want to read articles through social media so it's like first you had the death of print now you have the death of a url in a lot of ways and i think what's coming next is probably unfortunately going to be the death of the article i think things will be like bite-sized or video and um that's sad because people will lose their jobs but it's also like as long as people are learning and sharing who cares like i've never been someone who's been precious about a format and that's part of the reason why i love working in entertainment so much because i feel like there's so much more impact you can have with tv than with journalism right now because there's no barrier to entry for people so it feels it feels like the right time to be doing this for me and also in terms of like what people are paying attention to. Yeah, I agree with multiple things that you said there and one of them being how like magazines and print just didn't it was almost like they just kind of wanted to refuse the idea that people were going online for their information because I just remember my hometown newspaper got a website but their website was not done well. <laughs> As someone who was already running a website at this time, I was like, oh dear, like this is just, this doesn't look well. It's not going okay. But you would click on an article and it would give you just like a couple lines and then it would have a link to sign up to receive the physical newspaper. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Like, I, I, it's so strange that that's something that is, I can remember so clearly, but I'm thinking, I mean, if you're not going to give me the news, I'm going to find it somewhere else. Right. 
you know, I'm, I'm not even going to be coming to this website because you're not, you're just still pushing your print newspaper on me. And I just don't have the time for that. Right. So, yeah. And I think there's like a certain kind of pretentiousness to to think that your writing should only be held in someone's hands. Yeah. And that, that to me is so frustrating. And I think what's really sad is that as soon as like the baby boomer generation dies, like that's when print will be dead. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. And it's that in a way, I don't know why, but in a way, I feel like it's kind of overwhelming to think about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just because that's what I grew up with. And, you know, I'm I'm also an author and I there's something about holding my physical book in my hands that makes me so excited. But for my last three releases now, I'll say three, four book releases, I've grappled with putting out a print version mm-hmm. because those do not get bought as much. The Kindle sales far outweigh my print sales and it cost me extra to have the cover designed for it have you know all the formatting done for a print book and then even to order cop i mean it's just it's it's so much more expensive to produce than a kindle book and the sales really don't match it but then you know i'll always have a couple people say like oh i just you know i love holding your book i love being able to display it on my shelves and i'm like i just don't want to stop with my print books yet (laughs) like but i really struggle each time um to make that decision but um another thing um that you said about kind of like the the death of the url and you said you know we want we don't really want articles anymore we want these like bite-sized content and i am looking inward at myself because i'm like it is so true like these days i it's like i just want the the like the highlights almost even i'm a big sports fan but even if i miss like a football game instead of sitting down to read an article telling me what happened to the game i'm just catching like the video highlights and that's how i you know piece together what happened in that game or i don't really use snapchat all that more i feel like that platform kind of died out pretty quickly but um i do keep up with some friends on it but they have a feature on their where there's a handful of um, hosts that will kind of have this new show and it'll tell you in two minutes, you know, what's happening with the COVID vaccine or, you know, it'll keep you up on like social and politics and news. And I go there almost every day Wow, to get my news. And so when you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> that is me. That is literally me. Cause that is, I, li- I definitely go there every day to see what news that they're going to tell me in less than five minutes. (laughs) Right. And I think it's so many of us. And it's like, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of because it's almost like, I just, I don't know how else we could possibly be given the constant influx of information that we're inundated with. Like, I think we just have a capacity for how many things we can go in depth on in a single day. Like and there's pressure to be informed about everything. And it's like, okay, if I'm going to be informed about everything, I'm going to read headlines. And that's pretty much all I'll have time for. Time, like actual time and emotional time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because I mean, even years ago, I definitely was not trying to consume as much as I am today and be informed on so many different topics. There's I mean, and I say it too, because I've, I've called myself out before before on this also of just reading headlines and taking something away from it and then 
you know, sometimes headlines are a little clickbait or yeah. <laughs> try to pull you in, in a certain way. And I'll read a headline and I'll, you know, kind of fill in the blanks for myself. And then it's something completely different. And I'm like, you know, I should have read the whole article. But a lot of times I am just simply scanning those headlines to try to at least feel like I'm somewhat up to date. Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, I also wanted to know when, um, like, when did you know writing everybody else is perfect had to be done? Because it's really a true behind the scenes look of a career and lifestyle that many, and I, I put myself in here, um, have either idolized or aspired to be a part of. And when I was reading your essays, I really felt a lot of emotions about just certain situations that you've been through or things that you've learned. So why write this memoir? Thank you. I'm so glad that it resonated with you. I mean, I I have always been someone who like takes notes about my own life in like every place that I can, like my notes app and Google Docs and like scribbles here and there. And I was doing this a lot in my mid twenties because I was going through what felt like a really hard period of time. Um, my career was really taking off and my personal life was falling apart. And it was this duality that I felt really trapped in. Like I felt like the only way to be successful was to sacrifice myself. And the end result was just a total mess. And I realized that that tension was all around me. Like it, it just, it didn't feel like a unique experience. It felt like the thing that women have to do. And the more I started talking to people about it, the more ubiquitous I felt like it was. And then in the middle of this, I got really, really lucky. And, um, my literary agent reached out to me and just said, like, I've been following your writing online. Have you ever thought about doing a book? And I had a call with her and I was like, this is the thing that I'm noticing all around me. I'm not sure if it's a book, but it's the thing that I've been writing about. And, um, she, she was like my guardian angel. She was like, no, this is a book. And she really held my hand through turning it into a book proposal. And I'm not sure if I would have done it without her. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. That's such a cool story. Uh, so, oh, I was going to say, so it's kind of like Charlie's there and getting discovered at the mall. <laughs> like you're literally found you because you put your, but you put yourself out there. You weren't just, you know, like you said earlier, you were making yourself visible. That is really so cool. So did you really ever have it in your mind that this could potentially be something, whether it be a book or I don't know, a screenplay or a Netflix documentary, or were you kind of really surprised to figure out like, oh, wait, no, this can this really can't be a book. That's a really insightful question. I had actually kind of imagined it as a documentary at first. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But that is not something that I know how to do. And um, it was it was really nice to be told like, no, you can do this in the format that is familiar to you. I also, your, the synopsis for the book reads that this is an inspiring call for personal authenticity. And I was just curious, what does this mean to you? And how do you try to achieve that? Yeah. So uh, for me, the most important thing that I have found that I have to do is be honest with myself. 
And it took me a really long time to be able to do that. Like I am someone who just always rationalized away things that felt wrong, whether it was how people were treating me, how I was treating myself, or even like doing things that I didn't like doing. Like I always found a way to talk myself into it instead of being in touch with the feelings of like, this is bad. This doesn't feel good. This isn't right for me. And the moment that I started doing that, it was like my life kind of fell into place and I was able to heal and grow and learn. And I think if I had been able to be authentic and emotionally honest sooner, I think things would have been a lot easier for me. And my hope is that by putting myself on display and exposing my mistakes, that other women will learn lessons that I really didn't for a long time. Yeah. I think that's a great way that you said it. And, you know, of course I'm going to have everything linked in my show notes, but I know, I know that a lot of my listeners, cause I, you know, I see their DMS and, and their emails and they talk to me about certain conversations I'm having or guests that I have come on. And I just know that they would really take a lot away from this one. So, you know, of course I highly recommend that you read it. Um, and of course I'll have you linked in the show notes also. And I'm sure that you're probably like me that you enjoy when people reach out to you and, and talk to you about their experience while reading your work and that there's something just like so special about that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for your support. It really means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember this one coming through in my email and it just was one of those that I was like, I absolutely, cause I mean, I do get a lot of, of requests. I mean, even daily I can get between like 10 and 20 book review requests a day. Wow. And so obviously I can't say yes to every single one of them. I used to have, it's so interesting because I used to have like a whole team that worked at my blog just to try to be able to cover more books. But as blogs kind of started to fade out, um, it just, it was, it just didn't seem the most feasible to, to have all of these people. So now it's back to being just me. I remember that one just sticking out to me so much. And I just thought I absolutely must read this. And then as I looked more into you and your career, I just, I was really excited that we would be able to do this podcast. I was very nervous. I'm not going to lie. My hands have been oh. shaking pretty much the whole time <laughs> because I was very nervous, but Thank you. Um, I, I was really nervous too. <laughs> <laughs> I just think your career, what you've done, I mean, it's so inspiring, but then also everything that you stand for and that you're pushing for and that, you know, you want to see change in it's just, yeah, it really meant a lot that you took the time to do this podcast. So Thank you for for coming on. Thank you so much. Um, it's been so nice to talk to you. I, I yeah. so appreciate it. Yeah. Do you want to share where people can find you or find the book? Sure. Um. So the book is. Uh, <laughs> where is the book? It's in. <laughs> <laughs> If you go to my Instagram, there is a link in my bio. It's at Gabrielle Korn, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-K-O-R-N. And it's also in my Twitter bio, which is at Gabrielle underscore Korn. Um, you can find it on Amazon, on um, independent bookstores, if that is more your thing. Um, my 
book release event will be held with The Strand, which is also a great place to buy it from. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This really, this was really a fun one for me. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. All right. Another thank you to Gabrielle Korn for coming on to the podcast and having such an insightful and inspiring conversation with me. This is truly such a highlight for me. If you would have told Samantha from 10 years ago when I was first starting out in this career that I would be able to interview the youngest editor-in-chief at Nylon and someone who really made waves in her career path, I would have thought like, how, 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 there's no way (laughs) there's, there's no way that that could be a thing. So, uh, this really just was such a highlight for me. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for supporting it and, you know, continuing to give opportunities like this to bring on these guests. And I just appreciate it so much. So if you want to share about the podcast, I always reshare everyone to my stories. If you tag me on Instagram or retweet. So if you do share, that's always such a huge way to get the word out about the podcast. Or if you do grab the book, which again, highly recommend recommend you read Everyone Else is Perfect by Gabrielle Korn. It's going to be linked in my description box if you read it. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Again, you can tag me anywhere on social media. You could also email the podcast, which is startinspiredpodcast at gmail.com, and I get back to all the emails over there. But I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I really hope that you took something away from it. I will be back next week with another guest. I have some really exciting guests coming up that I think you're going to be excited for. So again, thank you so much for being a listener to start inspired and until next week